1: if I did it. Now all I have to do is roll her into the grave, cover it up, and make sure I take everything with me.
0: Yeah, I just, I sort of wish there was that strong female lead Some, center. Mm, some female Yeah, female. yeah, someone likable. Yeah.
1: I just can't sit back and wait for permission from some guy to make a movie. You know, nobody wants you to make a movie as much as you want to make one yourself. Just make it happen. I would walk people through how I would commit the perfect murder. You my scary girl? (laughs) I'm scouting locations for the next scene of the film. Ground floor apartment, perfect. I'll come back later, when it's time to complete the next, next step, breaking and entering when the occupant is home. Lean in, baby.
0: Murder is probably not realistically depicted on television, so uh, I would do some Googling first.
1: All the best serial killers are unpredictable. They look at the criminal profile they're forming, and they strike outside of it. I could unwittingly reveal too much about myself psychologically by my choice of targets. It's pretty clever, right? (laughs)
0: Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovic, and this is episode number 347. Releasing in Australian cinemas on the 20th of May is I Blame Society, a mockumentary that follows indie filmmaker Gillian as she chronicles her latest project to commit the perfect murder. Soon, this project turns into a lifestyle as the bodies pile and the camera continues to roll. A highly entertaining satire that delves into violent sex and filmmaking in a post me Too world, I Blame Society also marks the feature film debut of Gillian wallace hovatt who also stars and co-wrote the film and I'm happy to say joins me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. Gillian, I thank you so very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me here, Matt. I'm really excited to talk to you.
0: So... Having done my my research for the film, it's really interesting how this kind of project came about. And it started with a real life conversation. Um, you were hanging out with some friends, and they said to you that you would be the would be a good murderer or a perfect murderer. And I imagine a comment like that might have come out of nowhere. Who knows what the situation was like? What was your reaction to hearing that? And when did that kind of comment really kind of Fester and germinate in your mind that, hey, this could be something for a potential movie.
1: Um, well, I I'm just always flattered when somebody says something nice to me. So if they say you'd be good at something, it doesn't really matter what it is. I'm 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 flattered and I appreciate the the intent behind the comment. So I was I was tickled when they told me. And and you know, immediately my mind started going towards, you know, what are the, what are the qualities that make a good murder? And, you know, realizing that, you know, you have to be able to, uh, envision a project from the beginning and see it through and be self-motivated and be, uh, impervious to doubt and really able to, to keep going, uh, you know, in order to, to not, you know, stumble on any, uh, in moral internal turmoil that might lead you to getting caught, um, at the ability to improvise around obstacles, um, you know, the ability to be unique and really come up with a signature. These are qualities that make a good murderer, but they also make a good filmmaker.
0: Mm. It's interesting that at first you made a short film, is that correct? It was called I Murderer, and you kind of went around, you talked to different people in your life, your mum, your grandmother, your ex-boyfriend. And you posed that question to them, would I make a great murderer? Is that footage from that short film in what the film that we see now in I Blame Society?
1: Yeah. So the film um, of I Blame Society is kind of was built around the footage from the documentary I Murderer. And uh, so that's the footage that you see that they're watching on the laptop, Jillian um, and her, her boyfriend, Keith. Right. So, Yeah
0: it's really interesting that also, you know, when you watch serial killer movies, and in many ways, I blame society, is that the serial killer always has kind of like a calling card. Um, could it be methods of how they dispatch their victims, etc.? The calling card for your character of Gillian is that it's the selfie stick in the GoPro camera. Um, and I'd be very interested to see, actually, whether this Halloween, whether that kind of makes an appearance, actually, the whole kind of get-up you have in the movie, because it will be a great Halloween costume, I think. Um when you are wearing the GoPro camera, when you are holding the selfie stick, is that footage in the movie as well? Are you pretending to film at the time or actually filming and using that footage in the film?
1: Um- It is really filming, although a lot of that footage is difficult to use because of um, the camera movement. Mm -hmm. If you're, um, you know, I'm not. I'm more focused on performing and in the role, and not really focused on getting a good shot. So, um, so it's pretty shaky. And our cinematographer warned us really on that that footage wouldn't really be usable because we're projected on a large screen. It would make anybody really nauseous it kind of would have like this you know dogma effect of like i remember when i i took my mom to see dancer in the dark in the theater uh you know she almost puked because she just wasn't used to the shaky camera so we we had to so we repeat all those shots um with reverses where so uh with uh, our dp operating the camera so most but you know sometimes they would grab a cool shot and we would use it so um so there is some stuff there So I'm an uncredited operator on the film, I guess.
0: (laughs) You also star in the film, as I said before, was it always the intention for you to be the main actor in the movie?
1: Well, if we were going to use that footage from the documentary that had to happen, but I wasn't excited about it because I'm not an actor. And so I didn't, that sounded like doing way too much on, on a first film, Uh, you know, directing a low budget horror movie in 12 and a half days. And acting in nearly every shot, it seemed like a, a recipe for, you know, mental breakdown. But uh, if I, I thought it would be, I thought that if it turned out well, then it would be much more compelling because then, you know, the inclusion of my biography, the extra textuality there would make the blurring between documentary and fiction more suspenseful and shocking and fun um but yeah i mean in my ideal world lily collins would have played me and that's about that
0: if there was a different actress to play you would the name of the character still be jillian and would they kind of bring on kind of like the mannerisms that you have in the film as well is that the kind of like what you're looking for for that character the really kind of deadpan delivery that you have in the movie
1: Well, I don't think I, I mean, I'm not that deadpan in real life. Um, I, I, that was definitely a bit of a choice, you know, and, and so, you know, to, to have somebody who has, you know, a bit, uh, well, I think, and it's also the presence of the camera. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's something that we're really focused on is, is that element of performativity, knowing that you're being recorded and modifying yourself, uh, you know, and and so I I think that when people are on camera, they are a little bit more deadpan. I mean, that's something that, I mean, definitely, you know, other mockumentaries have have played with the fact that, you know, we all feel a little bit scrutinized when we're on camera and we certainly withhold. So it Mm -hmm. would, it would be, it would be different. I do think that, um, we're a different actor to play me. They still, um, we still would have kept the name for sure. Um, I, you know, Catherine Bray Law does something really similar in her film, of Weakness, which mm-hmm. is about something that happened to her where she had a stroke and was taken advantage of by a con artist. And so she uh, very, like, bravely and vulnerably put the story out there and made a totally awesome film about it. And she had Isabelle Huppert play her. And I believe that she's the character is played, uh, is called Catherine. So... I mean that would have been that would have been great too. I would have loved to spoil a pair as well. She would have been a great me.
0: For all of the grisly nature that the film does delve into, I found it incredibly funny at times as well. I think the two bit, times where I laughed out loud the most—maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm not sure. But the first one was when you, um, one of your would-be victims is a straight edge uh, man, and he refuses a drink in your way of <clears throat> getting your victims you know, to pass down such as you will spike their alcoholic drinks. He refuses, so you bang him over the head with a bottle. For some reason, that made me laugh. I don't know why. I love physical comedy that could of went into that realm. The other one was these great one-liners you have in the films, and the one that I like the best is you're in the home, you're broken into the home of a would-be victim, you're setting up hidden cameras, you look at the camera and you say to it, I'm not being creepy, it's just a second angle for cov- for coverage. Um, it's a great line delivered so beautifully well lines well, like, so. <laughs> like I mean, it was because it made me laugh. It's just a way that you was presented in the way you did. It was just fantastic lines like that in the film. Are they scripted? Do you leave things open to improvisation on the days? Or is it because you have such a short shoot, 12 days independent film is a really kind of strict what's on the page and on the page only.
1: You know, we had um, the opportunity to do some improvisation in the first week because the film, um, is kind of has some two, two different visual styles. So the first, you know, at the beginning of the film, it's more naturalistic Is the character is, you know, filming herself and she's learning how to use the camera. And then um, there's a turning point in the film and it starts to look much more cinematic. And that represents kind of the psychotic break of that character as well as her making a leap forward in, uh, you know, her, competence with the camera and lighting and and style choices. And so when we the after the break after that psychotic break after the death of her friend Chase, uh, we did a lot less improvising because mm-hmm. the camera setups were much more complicated and there's more lighting. But before that, you know, it was it was relatively simple because we were really trying to not cheat with the found footage rules, which means, you know, no unmotivated camera angles and no unmotivated camera movement so Mm -hmm. the shots are really locked down and that means that you know we can actually run the scene many times if we want to because we just have the time you know we're not trying to we're not trying to cut and get closer in or do whatever it's kind of like rehearsing a play so we would you know do the scene as written a bunch of times and then if there was something that was feeling stiff or I just was not, you know, feeling right about it, we would, you know, try some improvs also, cause you know, people are, I was working with are very funny and talented and, you know, maybe they could think of a better line than I wrote. Um, so there's, there's the first scene um, has a fair amount of improvisation at the end. Like um, I was not supposed to cry at the end of that take. Um, that was something really organic that happened. Mm-hmm. And um, the first scene with the producers, that part where I'm filming them under the table, that's um, there's a lot of improvisation there, like them just uh, insulting me. Um, the scene of me and uh, Keith watching on the laptop where we're just talking about the footage, that's all improvised. So there was room at the beginning, but then as things went on and uh, you know, the, the 12 and a half days... Uh, elapsed. You know, it was it, the heat was on for sure.
0: You mentioned just then scenes with uh, producers. So throughout the film, your character Julian is trying to get her filmmaking, you know, career up and running, taking different meetings, etc. Um, especially with two uh, producers, um, and throughout the kind of like these meetings, they say they give a lot of lip service. They talk about things like they want to give opportunities and such, but there's not barriers that are there. It's almost kind of like a condescending nature that. The character Jillian is there more as a commodity, like a, to tick a box that they're talking to a female filmmaker, as in they actually want to work with a female filmmaker and listen to her ideas and, and work together. You know, when you did Kiss, Kiss, Fingerbang back Bang in 2015, you win uh, awards over that, especially at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Post that, I'm sure you would have had a lot of offers, a lot of meetings and such. The meetings that we see in this film, no. I Blame Society, are they based no, on the it. things that happened to have you? It.
1: No, I didn't have any any meetings or anything. Oh, okay. There, after I won that, yeah. Interesting. Crickets.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> I'm 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 sorry for putting that um the observation out there because just talking to other filmmakers in I must put in uh, uh the, the caveat here male filmmakers usually the thing is they win the award for the short film they get uh, uh meetings after that et cetera. But in this case it didn't happen for you.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm not, I'm not. I'm. i Yeah. You know. I totally understand. And like. Uh. You know. You weren't projecting anything. It's. It. Yeah. I think that. You know. With. Um. With male filmmakers, I. I. I have noticed that. You know. They. They. You know. You know. They get make a short film, and you know, it's at. You know. The. You know. It could even be at a. You know. Relatively minor regional festival or whatever. And, you know, people are, you know, like, what are you doing next? And, you know, getting a lot of meetings. Um And yeah, I, I did expect there to be um a bit more, uh, a, a bit, a bit more interest after Kiss, Kiss Finger Bang, especially since it, it, you know, had uh, A-list actors in it and, and um, things like that. But I think that, you know, it's possible that it is, you know, the, that the barriers to entry for a female filmmaker are just uh, a lot bigger. It could Mm -hmm. also have been, you know, the subject matter. It's a really confusing tone for some people. And, you know, maybe even if a, if a guy had made a film with a, with a tone like that, um, me, it's, I, I don't know how they would do as well. I mean, dark comedy is, uh, it's a really hard space and, um, uh, Yeah it's, it's a lot of obstacles to overcome, uh, you know, more, more earnest films that are, that are easier to market, I think are, are, are more palatable, but, but I do think that, you know, if it had been, if it had been a guy who had made a short that had won the midnight short section at South by Southwest, uh, and it starred Anton Yelchin, like I do think things would have been a little different.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, you know, in watching your film, there's that always that line that is there with filmmakers um, that sometimes they'll do anything they can to get their reactions in the film or to get their shot. And throughout film history, we've had examples of this. Like for example, lately I've been watching I deep dive into like the films of William Frieden, um, and just reading the stuff about him, the stuff that he used to do behind the scenes to try to get reactions from his actors. In one case, yeah, he slapped an actor in the face. In another, another movie, he'd fired a gun off off uh, off um, camera so he can get a, a reaction. And then he hears stories about Hitchcock's and the in, in the stuff he did and the birds and other things as well. When it came to your story in this film about an a filmmaker who does anything she can to get her shot, did you look back and, could, and those kind of real life occurrences in the, in in certain way where they kind of like an. Uh, not so much in inspiration, but did you look at that and said, hey, some people have done some crazy things to try to get, uh, you know, things on film. And we're not, while we're taking a, a much bigger approach in our film, we're not too far off the mark here.
1: I mean, I personally think that shooting a gun or slapping an actor to get the performance or the line reading that you want seems like a lot of work. I would just tell them what i thought their character was thinking and feeling and they would do exactly what i needed so mm-hmm. that's my that's my style it works for me
0: um there's a really cool film in uh a line in the movie as well where um the actor who plays your boyfriend keith paulson he talks about how he himself in the film is an editor you in the film are, are a filmmaker talks about that Sometimes, you know, maybe we're all delusional in trying to get these things up and running like our movies and such. I think that is a thing with a lot of creatives. Um, there's that kind of thing within us that, you know, no matter how much hard work we put into this stuff, someone's going to watch it, someone's going to... It may not be the case. There's a lot of people out there to do, make films that do, do websites, do podcasts, et cetera. No one's listening and such, but they go ahead with it anyway. Do you think there's a certain aspect about that, you know, in the lives of creative people, artistic people, that you have to be just a little deluded to do the things that you have to do?
1: Hell yes, absolutely. I think that, you know... uh, at the beginning for, you know, a hundred percent and probably well into the entirety of their career. Um, you know, it's really hard to get support and the positive feedback and the validation that you need to keep going. And so, yes, maybe you need to delude yourself that, you know, your work is going, is, uh, Eagerly anticipated by the potential viewer and that if you just did it, you know, somebody would love it and that you really have something special and unique to say. And the truth is, is that some of the times you're right and some of the times you're wrong, but you may only be wrong that time and you need to keep trying and and you don't get any better. And, you know, if you don't keep working at it. So it's really hard and it is psychologically torturous um, but, yeah, so I totally agree.
0: Well, i got to say that all the effort put into iBlade Society is totally worth it. It's a fantastic film, and for everyone out there listening, releases in Australia, 20th of May. I know in the States, Gillian, that's available now on also on um, uh, digital through places like Amazon.
1: Yeah, it's available in the States right now and it's available in the UK, um, so... Yeah, check it out.
0: <laughs> I, I really highly recommend all my listeners in the UK and the US and Australia when it comes out May twenty. I Blame Society. Watch this film. It's one of my favourite films of the year, hands down. Um, thank and you so
1: much, Matt.
0: Well, thank you very much for making a great film and for your time today, Gillian. I do appreciate it. And hopefully in the future when more films are made, we talk again.
1: Thank you. I'd love that.